Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo this week gave the first of four State of the State speeches on Monday, where the Democrats said fighting the COVID-19 pandemic will be the top priority. Our Capitol correspondent Karen DeWitt reports. Cuomo gave his speech from the War Room in the state capitol, an ornate lobby with murals memorializing New York's military battles. He says the number one priority in 2021 is fighting and defeating a disease that has sickened over a million New Yorkers and killed over 39,000. The War Room is fitting because we are at war, a war that began early last year when we were ambushed by the COVID virus and a war that continues today. Cuomo says he will also focus on turning around what he says is a short-term economic crisis caused by pandemic-related shutdowns and planning for an economic resurgence. The governor says he's also focusing on getting the limited supply of vaccines out faster. So far, the rollout has been uneven. Registration for New Yorkers over the age of 75, who are included in the next group eligible for the vaccine, began at 8 a.m. Monday. But some providers listed on the state health department's website said they were not going to be giving out vaccines and other links or phone numbers were dead ends. The governor says he's working with Cornell University and Northwell Health to form what he calls a new public health corps to help speed up vaccinations. We will hire 1,000 health corps fellows who agree to serve for one year. Cuomo blames the federal government for not getting enough vaccines to the state more quickly. The governor also continued his call for Washington to deliver a bailout package for states hard hit by the pandemic. Cuomo said he's been more hopeful that President-elect Joe Biden, once he's inaugurated, and the newly Democratic-led Congress will provide aid to help New York close its $15 billion deficit. The governor says if federal help doesn't come before the state budget is due in April, he'll have to take extraordinary and negative measures, including cutting school aid by 20 percent and making deep health cuts in the midst of a pandemic. And he continues to warn that proposals by many Democratic lawmakers to raise income taxes on the wealthy won't bring in enough to close the gap. If we raise taxes to the highest income tax rate in the nation, On all income over $1 million, billionaires, multimillionaires, millionaires, any income over $1 million, we would only raise $1.5 billion. Democratic Senate leader Andrea Stork-Cousins says she believes that given the state's growing income inequality and its impacts, it's necessary to change New York's tax structure. She also says the governor's estimate that $1.5 billion could be raised from the wealthy is too low and that a more comprehensive restructuring of the state system could yield more revenue. We are more than willing to look at taxing millionaires and billionaires because, again, we need to rebuild our economy. We can't just wait for Washington. I don't know what they're going to do. Senate Republican Minority Leader Robert Ort says he found a lot to agree with in the Democratic governor's speech, including proposals to expand broadband to underserved areas. And he says he concurs with the governor's reluctance to impose new taxes on the wealthy. This has the potential, at a critical time for our economy, 
when you want people investing here, you want people coming to New York, you want pe- these folks hiring folks, there's a potential this could have the reverse effect. Cuomo announced earlier that he will propose legalizing the adult recreational use of marijuana in the state budget, an idea long supported by Democrats in the legislature. Ort is not ruling out Republican support of the proposal, but he and other GOP senators will need to see the details first. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. State capitals across the country are beefing up security amid heightened safety concerns following last week's violence at the U.S. Capitol. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas has more. Concrete barriers block access to Albany's Capitol Hill via State Street. New York State troopers have increased their overall presence and are keeping a watchful eye after the FBI issued a bulletin warning that gatherings related to the transition of power from President Donald Trump to President-elect Joe Biden could lead to violence at all 50 state capitals and in Washington, ahead of Biden's January 20 inauguration. Governor Andrew Cuomo addressed the matter Tuesday. On the increased security, yes, we got the FBI alert. State police are working on it and will have increased uh, security uh, during that. period of time. Albany Police Chief Eric Hawkins says he respects First Amendment rights, but thinks it would be best if people stayed away from any planned demonstrations. He and Albany Mayor Kathy Sheehan issued a joint statement encouraging all residents and businesses to sign up for department alerts and follow the Albany Police Department on social media to stay informed. And we've been working uh, on this for a little bit over a week uh, with the information, working with our intelligence sources at all levels and uh, just to see where we are. And so the mayor and I thought it was important to put something out since this information is now all public uh, to the the members of the community to let them know that we're aware of this information that's out there and we're working with all of our partners to figure out exactly what the threat level is. In Vermont, Montpelier police say they are partnering with federal agencies, the Capitol Police, the state attorney general, state police, and local departments. They're also asking the public to report any unusual activity. Montpelier Police Chief Brian Pete says while there are no particular threats, there will be an enhanced police presence. We would not be responsible if we didn't have our diligence in planning for it and seeing what the national trends are and seeing what we just saw at the U.S. Capitol. So um, we're, we're, we're going to make sure that our response is going to be measured and our response is going to be appropriate as to um, any potential threats or any specific threats that we may learn about uh, between now and not only just uh, January 17th or the 20th, but going forward as a whole. Asked about the FBI warning, Governor Charlie Baker Tuesday said there is no specific threat anywhere in Massachusetts. There are currently no um, known threats with respect to the State House or any other public building uh, at this time in Massachusetts. And, um, and we will continue to monitor and track the information that's out there, uh, and we will be Uh, appropriately prepared for anything that might happen. According to the AP, Connecticut officials are staying at a heightened awareness at all times, having conducted security assessments of various state buildings, including the state capitol complex, given the FBI's warnings. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. You 
are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. Alan, this week, the governor, Andrew Cuomo, delivering a series of State of the State speeches over four days to talk about the things that the state has to deal with. Of course, number one on his list is COVID-19, the pandemic, his top priority. The legislative session bound to be dealing with, of course, the financial impact of this pandemic, most importantly, and how we're going to pay for everything. There is some hope. We see Joe Biden, now the president-elect, coming in, and even New York U.S. Senator Schumer, the majority leader in the Senate. Two good things that portend for New York, but we still have to climb out of this mess. What do you see happening this session, Alan? Well, first of all, the governor still has these emergency powers. There's some pitching about his powers from some of the members of the legislature, but I don't see them running to take it over, and I don't see them voting that they should make these decisions because they don't want to. Too scary. Now, there are some differences, but I think that this is a very clever, canny governor, and he knows what he's doing. One difference is whether you should basically tax the rich at a greater rate than they are being taxed now. And then the question becomes, which rich? A billionaire or a semi-billionaire or a millionaire or somebody who makes a hundred grand a year? Those are big, huge differences. It always starts with the billionaires, but then the tax rates go up for others in some people's minds. So there is that little bit of tension. I think the governor is like, uh, you know, one guy once uh, tried to threaten me and uh, out in front of WAMC, and I was very, very angry. And they held me back, and that's what the governor is doing now. Hold me back. Hold me back. Don't let me have to do this raising of taxes. But in fact, they may well have to raise taxes in order to make up this deficit. Now, the deficit itself is an interesting question. First we heard it was $16 billion. Right. And then we heard the MTA was in for another $16 billion. Now we're hearing it's $8 billion or maybe less. You know, a billion here, a billion there, as one wag once said, and pretty soon you're talking real money. And that's what this is about. Let's see how much we are in the hole. Our friend Tom DiNapoli has been working on this assiduously, and we'll have a chance to see, once the smoke clears, how much we really have to make up. Right. And if it's less than you said, no pun intended, smoke clears, how much are these revenue raisers like legalizing recreational marijuana and online sports betting provide some monetary infusion here? They're all going to happen, but they don't add up to $16 billion and they don't add up to $8 billion by no means. All revenue will be welcome. I'm sure that behind all of this is the idea that these are sports betting. Yeah, there's some real evils. People get addicted to gambling. And marijuana reform is ridiculous not to do it in New York State. I live in Massachusetts, and the New York State license plates are over at all of these stores waiting to buy. And that's all heavily taxed. So... I'm pretty sure that when this is over, we will see all of these revenue enhancers happening, which should have happened a long time ago, but now there's a real good excuse. All right, the final two questions for the most important issues. Let's start with COVID-19, Alan. The rollout of the vaccine, quote, did not go well this week. The issue was the state put up a website. People flocked to the website. In many cases, they were simply, as they searched by their county, were just given a number to call the county's health department. When they did that, the phone lines were jammed. They couldn't get through. The phone kept ringing. And the county leaders were warning that the governor needed to cooperate with the counties in order to get this done more smoothly. 
smoothly. Things are now moving a little better. But, you know, we've got to get the vaccine out to people. And this is what's been happening so far. David, we're talking about life and death here. Think about it. I'm sure you have. I know I have. You get the shot, you may, you may save your life. So therefore, I don't know what greater impetus there would be for people being concerned about this. Now, in Cuomo's defense, not that he needs my defense, uh, he said from the very beginning this was going to be rough. And it is rough. You know, you say to every New Yorker, you say to 16 million people, you have a chance to save your own life. What do you expect? That they're not going to get on the telephone? They're not going to be searching? That they're not going to be frustrated? Same thing in my state of Massachusetts. Everybody is looking for a way to get it, and I can't blame anyone for doing that. And Cuomo's got to figure this out. Obviously, he's the governor, and he'll get the blame, and he'll get the credit if something goes well. The final topic is a scary topic, which is after the attack on the Capitol, state capitals have received threats all across the country. Albany is no different. And between the city and the state, they're beefing up security around the Capitol as we speak, Alan. The scary situation in this country right now and how it can bleed out to every state in the nation. You know, freedom of speech is terribly important. And it is terribly important that people who are feel that they have been wronged are allowed to get there and to protest. But not when the mood is what we saw in the Capitol the other day, when we saw mass destruction of a beautiful Capitol, a symbol of our history and our independence. And if that's what these folks think they're going to get away with, there is going to be some recompense. I mean, David, I've asked our fellow panelists on our roundtable program again and again, if somebody busts into your building and they have guns and they have Molotov cocktails, should they be shot? Well, one guy said no, but a lot of people think you have to. The picture that is in my mind is of those Secret Service people and the FBI people with guns drawn in the Capitol chamber. What would you do if somebody came in and tried to look? These people are capable of taking prisoners. They're capable of kidnapping. They're capable of murder. And we do know that five people, as a result of that horrendous mess at the Capitol, died. Well, in some places we call that murder. You mean you don't shoot them if they're coming in? I think you do. Legislative Gazette Political Observer, Alan Shartok. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Republican Congresswoman Elise Stefanik of New York's 21st District was among the more than 100 House representatives who challenged some Electoral College ballots late last week, even after the mob attacked the U.S. Capitol. While in Danham, Moore, New York, the weekend after, for a rally to keep the Clinton Correctional Facilities annex open, Stefanik spoke about the incident in Washington and her vote with reporters, including the Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley. When the U.S. House reconvened to continue the certification of the Electoral College vote, Republican Elise Stefanik continued her challenge of Arizona's ballots. Challenges to three other states were dropped after the storming of the Capitol building. 
In Dannemora, Stefanik said she continues to support the president and defended her actions. I also stand by my objections, which focused on the constitutional issues in certain states where I felt, and many millions of Americans feel, that the Constitution was usurped because unelected officials did not follow state election law. Uh, those objections are valid and they should be discussed in a peaceful manner. They were discussed. President-elect Biden was certified, but that debate was important for the American people to hear. But when it comes to the violence, we of course should come together to condemn those violent acts and those individuals will be prosecuted. Stefanik acknowledged that some of her constituents are outraged. She challenged the election. They have the, the right to those opinions. They also have the constitutional right to speak out. The vast majority of my constituents that I've heard from support uh, looking into election security and election integrity. Moving forward, we need to have a bipartisan commission to make sure that we're strengthening our election integrity, strengthening our election security. Stefanik, who was a member of President Trump's defense team during his first impeachment, opposes the move to impeach Trump a second time. I oppose the Democrats' very political push to impeach the president. There will be an inauguration and a peaceful transfer of power on January 20th. And I think it's important to note that in 1989, 2001, 2005, 2017, Democrats filed objections to every Republican president. I checked the Congressional Research Office, and according to their historical records, only twice have there been congressional challenges to any president. What you're referring to is when both a House member and a Senate. But it is a fact that Democrat House members have objected to Republican presidents. But you're trying to conflate it to times when it's not been able to move forward because it's only been a single chamber. What I have said is that in every example of a Republican president in my lifetime, Democratic House members have filed objections. You are correct that in 2005 and, and this year, senators have stood up. Stefanik also escalated her war of words with Democratic New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who criticized House members over the election vote and state and local aid. He is an ineffective governor. He has showed failed leadership. Other groups like Common Cause are also calling for your resignation. How do you respond to them? I just went through an election in November. I earned the highest number of votes of any congressional candidate in the history of the North Country. I'm going to continue working my very hardest on behalf of this district. Stefanik said she is indignant over social media companies banning President Trump from their platforms. They're un-American, they're unconstitutional. Big tech is going to be held accountable for their unconstitutional acts. There's going to be congressional hearings. Republicans and, frankly, conservatives across America are very concerned that we need to have antitrust cases against these companies. They shouldn't be able to decide what Americans' voices are valid and what aren't. As I was walking in here, one of the first issues a voter brought up to me was, I am very concerned that my voice will be silenced because I have conservative viewpoints, and that is not constitutional. So I'm very concerned. I think it was a very, very bad and un-American decision by Twitter, Instagram, and those tech companies to ban not only real Donald Trump's Twitter account, but the president of the United States' Twitter account. According to the Congressional Research Service, since 1887, a joint session to debate electoral votes was held in 1969 and in 2005. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. After Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol last week, the Legislative Gazette's Jackie Orchard spoke with residents in New York and across the Northeast about their reaction to the riot. 
Bob Caprera, owner of Caprera's auto body shop in Troy, New York, says he voted for Trump and still supports him. Caprera says although he finds the violence to be reprehensible, he understands the frustration that led to the insurrection. Despite all evidence to the contrary, he claims the election was stolen. When 500,000 votes appear in the middle of the night and 497,000 of them are for Joe Biden, that doesn't fare well with me. Just, I'm, I'm a common sense guy. Uh, that's impossible. The guy ran a camp- campaign from his basement. Clinton Ballinger of Troy says he used to be a Trump supporter, but eventually became disillusioned. At first, I thought he was actually doing a decent job. He made some bold claims, said this is what I'm going to do as president. And I thought, damn, he's actually trying to do them. As things wore on, and especially when Black Lives Matter happened, I lost all faith. And, and that's when I started to slide. Ballinger says Trump should have put a stop to the violence at the Capitol. He is an absolute terrible leader. He's, there is no leadership bones in his body. He is, he's just atrocious. And yes, he should have spoken up. He should have never, this, the rally that they had before this big protest should never happen with him and Giuliani up there, you know, talking about go march on that Capitol and, and you know, show power and all that. That was just criminal. Caprera claims what America stands to lose the most is Trump's business savvy, saying unemployment will go from bad to worse and the American stock market will suffer when Biden takes office. You're going to see more troops being deployed. You're going to see more shady deals, cronyism, bad stuff going on over there. And what's going to happen to China? China's flag is going to fly over our White House someday because China's going to own us. And it's it's, it's happening. It's, it's going to happen. And now that Joe Biden and Um, what's her name are going to be in there. Joe Biden's wife needs to keep him on a really, really, really short leash because if some of these, these far left socialists get in this guy's ear and really start pushing them, this country's going to fall apart. You're not going to recognize it. A.C. Wright of Ellenberg Depot in Clinton County says he's hoping Biden can take the political temperature down a few notches. I'm hoping it be a peaceful transition, for one thing, and I hope Biden calms the whole country down because that's what the whole country needs right now. Author Dennis Mahoney spoke outside his home in Troy. He says the last year has made him semi-immune to shock, and yet he was glued to the TV watching people break into the Capitol. Mahoney says watching Congress reconvene restored some of his hope, but feels Trump should be impeached and removed from office immediately. Facebook unbelievably finally had the nerve to ban him. God knows Twitter did, and Twitter's been kicking at him for a while. I think if he says anything more outrageous and incites anything further, it has to be a consideration. 14 days is a long time. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Jackie Orchard. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. With the administering of the COVID-19 vaccine to eligible people underway now, counties in New York have been running out of doses quickly. The process has been a bumpy start, and some county leaders are hoping it will be ironed out soon as they field numerous calls and remind residents that the program is run by the state. More now from the Legislative Gazette's Allison Dunn. 
Democratic Westchester County Executive George Latimer delivered a vaccine update Monday. Westchester County government received last week, last Tuesday, 500 doses to be uh, administered. And those 500 doses were given to the county. They were administered through our White Plains Department of Health Clinic on Court Street, not far from where I'm standing uh, in the county office building. And through Friday, we were able to properly deliver all of those uh, 500 units to those who are eligible in the 1A category. 1A includes health care workers. He says some doses were administered to county workers, such as Department of Health nurses. We were given an additional allocation of 330 doses uh, Friday midday to the afternoon, reallocated from another source. Uh, through the course of Saturday, we kept the clinic open on Saturday, administered another 105 doses. And he expected the rest of the doses to be administered by the end of Tuesday. Republican Orange County Executive Steve Newhouse. The problem is we need more doses. I don't think that um, the counties like Orange County, we got our first doses last week, last Tuesday, 800. Within 24 hours, they were all exhausted. So we need more doses. It's a common problem. I've had a conversation with counties from Suffolk County all the way up north, including the Hudson Valley. Sullivan County will begin weekly vaccination clinics January 20th and twice weekly beginning in mid-February. The county has been partnering with Garnet Health and coordinating planning efforts countywide. Sullivan County Public Health Services is also planning a large point of dispensing or pod clinic when additional vaccine becomes more widely available. On Tuesday, Governor Andrew Cuomo, following CDC guidance, says New Yorkers 65 and older are now eligible to be vaccinated. That is a population of 7 million New Yorkers. Uh, 1A was 2.1, 1B was 3.2, you just added 1.8, the immunocompromised number we don't even have yet, uh, because it depends on how you define it, but you have a population that's eligible now of about 7 million. We receive 300,000 dosages per week. That has not changed. The federal government didn't give us an additional allocation. Newhouse says a lot of people want to sign up to receive the vaccine. And it's almost like buying concert tickets right now. When they put a link out, people spread it out. And it, and as soon as they're out, that, that allotment is exhausted, the link is dead. That's just the way it works. Vaccines are available through appointment only, and you have to fill out the necessary paperwork through a state site. Dutchess County reports that its three pods or points of dispensing locations have no available appointments due to the limited number of doses made available to the county from the state. Rockland County received 1,000 doses of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine January 5th and had administered every dose by the end of Friday. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Allison Dunn. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2103. Or just listen or podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time. For more news on New York State government and politics, for the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustinum.